0: I hope you like that song that comes straight from the book of Revelation. The title of that song is actually Revelation Song. And the Bible says that that is one of the songs we'll sing for all of eternity. I just hope when we get there, Leslie, where are you? I hope they let you lead because that was like phenomenal. Man, awesome, 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 awesome. Thank you, worship team. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the ability to worship you here uh, on earth in Lee Summit, Missouri, on November 18th, 2012. But God, thank you for the promise to be able to worship you for an eternity one day in glory. Thank you for all that we learned about heaven as we took four weeks in September to study all that the Bible had to say about heaven. Uh, Lord, I am so excited one day to be there. But God, I am, uh, I am excited as well, like Paul said, to live here on earth and to make my life count for you. And as we get into this final message, Lord, on this series that we've been studying so diligently on biblical economics, I pray that you'll bless us, I pray that you open our minds, I pray that you open our hearts, and I pray that today you'll help us learn what it means to live by faith. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let me ask you a question, because I'm trying to figure out if I'm the only one who does these types of things. Do do you all ever have, uh, do you all ever argue with God? like in your mind and in your head over things you think God wants you to do or things you hear in, in the Bible, and, and you kind of have ongoing dialogue, um, argument with, with God, trying to figure out, you know, I want to do that, I don't want to do that, oh gosh, I, you know, God, I don't know. Um, I have been arguing with God over this series on biblical economics since July um, be, because there's been a point of tension of something that I believe God asked me to do during this series that I haven't wanted to do. And for those of you who don't know, know, I have been working on these messages that I've given you the last month, uh, really since July. I try to plan on my schedule six months ahead. That's why this week I was working on marriage messages for our marriage series in February. I was working this week on, our first, on the first message of our parenting series in April. I was working this week on the first message of our mentoring series in March. So I, I try to work way ahead so that my mind is continually thinking, praying, reading, wrestling with God over what He wants me to say. And I, and I feel like God wanted me in July to do something in this series that I, that I did not want to do. Um, and, and that was this, a, a particular phrase that I felt like God wanted me to use, that, uh, that, that I didn't even know if I would be honest if I used it. Um, and that's this. I, I told you last week that the job of a pastor, New Testament speaking, Old Testament word, the, the English word pastor is really the old Hebrew and Greek word shepherd. And the Bible refers to people who come to, to church as a flock. And the role of a pastor is to gently lead people to where they can get spiritual nourishment and to lead them to green pastures, and to lead them to streams. And then, you know, I, I don't know the role of any shepherd is ever to take the sheep's head and jam it in the water and make it drink, um, or stand on its head until it eats grass. The job of a shepherd is to gently lead the sheep where the nourishment is. So I knew in this series on biblical economics, I, I know that finances is, is, is touchy in general, but especially in church with some experiences some have had. I'm going to run down a list of some of the things that have happened to people in our church, financially, in other churches that, that will kind of blow your mind. Um, but, but I knew God wanted me to lead very, very gently, but I felt like God started speaking to me early in September that every message as I got up to teach on biblical economics that, that I felt like God wanted me to say, just so you knew there was no obligation, no manipulation, no guilt, so you would just listen with your heart, not your head, and you wouldn't have any of your defenses up. I felt like God wanted me to open every message by saying, listen, listen. We don't need your money. We don't want your money. And the first time that, that God said that to me, you know, I, I felt like as I was praying, as I was studying, it just kind of came to me, you know, in, in my heart. God doesn't speak so like my ears can hear, but, you know, I feel like God lays things on my heart. The first time that, that God put this phrase on my heart, Christian, I want you to tell the people, um, we don't need your money. I said, um, God, I don't, I don't know that that's true. Um, <laughs> And God said, you call me a liar? Um, and I was like, well, maybe just uninformed. I mean, I don't know if you were at our last finance meeting, but that, you know, I don't know that that statement is biblically accurate, God, but, you know, because obviously we've got a big dream for ministry and we don't want to be in a school forever. You know, we've got things we'd, we'd like to do to see this community and the world touch. And I thought, you know, God, I don't, I don't know that it's true to say that, that we don't need money. And I felt like, you know, I wrestled with God. I, you know, I, I was in an argument with God about this uh, really up, in, up up till last week, believe it or not, where I felt like God wanted me to say, just so you would listen with your heart, we, we don't need your money. And every time I said it, I thought, eh, I don't even know if that's true, but God, if you want me to say it, I'll say it. But I, I, want, I want you to see what happened as God began to speak to me. And here's what I felt like God said to my heart, Christian, if you will gently lead the people... I'll take care of the church Um, If you will if you will teach the people that this is about spiritual stuff not about finances um, Tell the church you don't need their money. I'll I'll take I'll I'll take care of the church You take care of the people. I'll take care of the church So I was like all right god, but I don't um You know I that scares me, but i'll do it if you want me to Now here's what made it a little easier and i'm going to tell you what clicked last week Uh, Two weeks before the series started Um, In our offerings and I only know all these numbers because tonight we have a big finance meeting with our leadership team and We're going to look at the year of ministry and next year of ministry So i've been looking at numbers and spreadsheets uh, Enough to know all the fine details, but in september our sunday offerings averaged at about six thousand dollars So over four sundays twenty four thousand dollars that came in on sunday mornings from people that I was getting ready to say We we don't need your money. So keep that thought in mind twenty twenty four thousand dollars um so, you know, so 6,000 that's like a week of offering from you know our church with kids and everything I'll have you know 350 400 up to 425 people every Sunday that that's what that massive people was giving. That's six thousand dollars a week. So two weeks before the series starts I go to check my mail at my at my home address not the church mail I go to check the mail And there's a card in the mail from a lady who doesn't go to our church um, who I haven't seen for nearly a year Uh, And I opened the card, and on the inside of the card was a note. Christian, I've just been thinking about you um, and your church. I hear great reports about it. uh, and just wanted you to know that I'm praying for you. And I felt like God wanted me to bless you guys. And inside was a $5,000 check for our church. Like a week of offering, almost, in one card. And I thought, okay, God, if you will take care of the church, I I will take care of the people. That's a very nice gift. Thank you, Lord. The very next Sunday... Um, someone came to our church for the very first time. They had never been to our church before, ever. Their name wasn't even in our role and put a $5,000 check in the offering. So in two weeks, we had two people that gave one check the size of like a whole offering. Um, two weeks after that, someone came to our church for the very first time um, that I hadn't seen in more than a year and put a $10,000 check in our offering. Two more weeks. Of all, so now basically three people... Have given nearly a month of offering and I found myself last thursday night last wednesday night Um, and jody. I don't know where you are jody hankins. Where are you? Just know that we are praying for you and timmy and alexis But this actually this clicked at tim's visitation wednesday night sitting at tim's visitation Um, and I see a guy that I hadn't seen in seven years. I went back and did the math Uh, and I sat down by him uh, his wife used to serve in my youth ministry real nice guy We got along wonderfully, but I hadn't seen him in seven years um, And he saw me and we started we started talking because we were two of the only people that knew each other And we're just hanging out trying to be there for jodine and he asked me he said I, I heard you started a church Yeah, where is it? He didn't know the name. He didn't know where it was. Where is it? Uh, it's in lee summit. What's it called journey church? You how's it going? It's great He said we ought to drive over sometime and see it man You know, I, I used to love sitting in the youth group so we should come check out your church sometime. And I said to him, I said, listen, I'm speaking on finances the next two weeks, so don't come. I know you don't want to hear that because I've been saying this to everyone. And he said, no, man, I love to listen to people preach on giving because of how much it's, it's, it's blessed my wife. And I. I said, as a matter of fact, I was just talking to my wife last, last, uh, last night about our giving, and he stopped and he said, wait a minute, I ought to give some money to your church. True story, it went just like this. And I said, huh? And he said, I ought to, I ought to give some money to your church. And he he said this statement. He said, maybe this is a God thing that you and I are here. Because I haven't even thought about you. But maybe I should give (laughs) some money to your church. And I said, you know, great. So he showed up the next day for the funeral, walked up to me, shook my hand, and put a $1,000 check in my hand for our church. And that phrase, maybe this is a God thing, stuck with me. It took me that long to realize that God was trying to knock on the door of my heart and say, listen, dummy, I can give you a month of offering from people who don't even go to your church. I can give you a month of offering in the mail and from first-time guests and people you haven't even seen for seven years. I don't need your people's money, nor do you need your people's money. Christian, you just need to follow me obediently and I'll see that the church and the people have everything that they need. You see, what I have witnessed in the last month is this collision of what I call faith and finances. There, there is some mystical thing about faith and finances, and it's one of the, the, the only areas in the Bible that has this kind of twilight zone re- relevancy that when faith and finances get mingled together, God just does some crazy stuff to prove that He is God and to make you chuckle and wonder why you ever doubted that he was God. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, faith in finances. The last month, we have looked at everything that the Bible says about our finances in a series called Biblical Economics, God's perspective, how we should think about money, God's plan, how we should plan for our money. Last week, we used a word that some of you had never heard before in your life. It was the word tithe. And we said, what is God's expectation of our giving? And we said Scripture says again and again and again that those with gratitude, that those with understanding, that those that want to be obedient will tithe. That word me, tithe means a tenth. That they'll give a tenth of their money back to God, just in recognition that God. I realize everything comes from you, and I realize we talked about the Noah factor. That God, if you want me to have ninety dollars, you're going to give me a hundred, so I can give ten back to you and have my ninety. We realize God gives us everything we need plus more for the offering but today and and I have all month long tried to get you to understand how you can align your finances biblically but today I want to kind of flip the script and instead of starting with finances I want to start with faith and I want to introduce you to another word that the Bible uses and I want to kind of blow your mind the way that God has blown my mind in the last month that the thought that God meant Christian you don't you don't need the money um I want to I want to blow your mind with the thought that, that that 10% of your income that God is asking for, He'll prove to you you don't need it if you'll have the faith to let it go. And I want to teach you about a word called first fruits. So tithe is a very important word biblically. Tithe is an important word spiritually. It helps us understand God's standard for us. But this word first fruits is important too. And first fruits literally means the first 10%. And let me show you how it's given in Scripture. My entire message is not about first fruits, but I want you to see this concept because today I'm going to ask some of you to pray about flipping the script financially. And if you haven't been here all month long, you have to go back and listen to the previous messages so you'll understand what I'm saying, that we don't need your money. Did you, did you hear that? God, I just told them we didn't need their money. So whoever was supposed to hear that, that's supposed to like give a bunch today, or however that works, I'm not sure. Um we don't need your money. Like, we should put that on the PowerPoint screen. But um, it's funny, w- when God begins to blow your mind, it's like, it's so cool to not have to need everything that you have. Proverbs 3.9 says this, just to introduce this word to you. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Um, we know that that happens with the 10% that we talked about. And we talked about plans on, on how to get there little by little. Um, and it says, with the first fruits of all your crops. In the Old Testament, people were not bankers. And they were not school teachers, and they were not doctors, and they were not nurses, and they were not mechanics, and they, they were not preachers. They were all farmers for the most part. They were either farmers or they were shepherds. And God said, basically, when you give your offering, when you give your 10%, He said, I want you to give it of the first fruits, because first fruits does two things. You need to write these two words down. First fruits displays two things. It displays gratitude and expectation. And I want you to think of it this way. The first fruit would be this. If you have an apple tree in your backyard... The very first apple on that apple tree that, that begins to blossom and that is ready on that tree to be picked, the very first one says this, the rest are almost here. The very first one, the first fruit says, God has rewarded this harvest and there's a lot more to come. And God said, the first one, I want you, to, the very first one you can pick and eat, I want you to take that one and give it to me. I only want the first one. The other 99, the other 90, nine, the other 90 um, you can have. I only want the first one, but if you give me the first one, that tells me you understand that I gave you that one and I gave you everything else that comes after. So it expresses gratitude and it expresses expectations. My, my favorite characterization of first fruit is a cartoon that I used to watch. I, you know, I'm almost 35. I used to watch a cartoon when I was little called Duck Tales. Do any of you remember Duck Tales? It was about three little ducks, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And they had a, an uncle, and their uncle's name was Uncle Scrooge. And Uncle Scrooge was like the richest duck in the world, if that even makes sense at all. And Uncle Scrooge had like this water tower. Like I can only picture his vault as like like one of those water towers. You see, there's some over in Olathe, like at 151st and Black Bob. Um, and this was his vault. And Uncle Scrooge would always brag about his number one, anybody remember? His number one dime. The very first 10 cents that he ever made. And he would always tell his boys about his number one dime. And there was a criminal who always wanted to steal his number one dime. First fruits is the number one dime. It's the very first that God has given to you that instead of holding it back so no one takes it, we give back to God because we say, God, you can have the dime. I'll take the other 90. That's what firstfruits is all about. In Genesis 4, 4, we see the very first offering ever given to God. We see this word used and we see God's reaction to it in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Abel, Abel was Adam and Eve's son, brought an offering. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. He brought some of the very first. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. In Hebrews 11, remembering Abel in what we call the Faith Hall of Fame, like if you would go to the Spiritual Hall of Fame, Abel would have a bust there, and here's what his plaque would read underneath his bust in the Faith Hall of Fame. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. God speaks well of offerings presented by faith. Listen, it's easy to give 10% when you got money in the bank and the retirement account is stocked and things are going good and you just got a raise and it's easy to give by finances. I got extra money, give it to the church. It's hard to give by faith. I'm not going to see what I have financially and see what's left, but I'm going to start with God and then I'm going to take what's left. That's a whole different deal and that's that's what Abel did. And in one of the most intriguing messages you'll ever hear on finances, we see that it's important to God that we understand this, this concept of first fruits and gratitude and expectation. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Malachi. It's the very last book in the Old Testament. So if you're not great with Old Testament books, go to Matthew which is the first book of the new testament and then just start flipping to the left because Malachi is the last book of the old testament if you don't have a bible our ushers are going to come down the aisle we love people to hold a bible in their hand to have a bible to read a bible we've given away more than 300 bibles since we started our church just like this so if you forgot your bible today if you don't have a bible if you'd like to have one in your hands to fact check what i'm saying and make sure i'm not lying about the scripture i'm reading wave at an usher they'll give you a bible if you don't have one, put your name in it. This is yours. You can keep it forever. If you have a Bible and you're just borrowing one today, throw it on the table when you leave. Hope that wasn't important. It just uh, fell out of my Bible there. It's, it's not, um, and we'll, we'll move along. Malachi is an interesting book. Um, here's what we find out in Malachi. Malachi was written 100 years uh, after, Israel had been, um, after Israel had been conquered, destroyed, and then moved back into Let me try to give you the 30-second history. Uh, David was the king of israel. He killed a guy named goliath his son solomon became king after him built the thing into a royal empire uh, And solomon's son let the whole thing fall apart bitter civil war And for a couple hundred years they were at civil war before both nations were completely conquered They either killed everyone in israel or they made them move out of the country to another country and that went on for nearly a hundred years After a hundred years anyone who was still alive Or anyone whose kids were still alive or grandkids were still alive. um, they said you can go back home now but when they got home, there was nothing there. There were no walls. There were no homes. The temple had been burned down. I mean, literally, there was nothing there. They started from scratch. So they got back. Uh, and it took them 100 years to kind of rebuild the city. A guy named Nehemiah came in and he built the walls. And then a guy named Ezra came in and he taught them how to have church again. And then a guy named Zerubbabel came in and they kind of built like a makeshift temple, even though it wasn't as nice as the other one. Um, and then God said, okay, everything back to normal. And the people looked at the city, they looked at the temple. They looked at what God wanted, um, and they said this, like, God, we want a little of your blessing on our life, but, you know, it kind of looks like things are a mess, so if we have any left over, we'll give it to you, but we're not going to put you first. And in Malachi 3, God said, uh, said guys, that, that's not going to work. It's not going to work to fit me into your schedule. It's not going to work to fit me into your finances. I want to be first. I want you to start with me, not end with me. I want you to start with my standard, not see what you have left when you're done with you. I I want you to start with me. And In Malachi 3, we read one of the most interesting passages in the world on the tithe, on money, on offerings. We're going to find this is the only spot in the Bible where God says, test me, try me. It's like God pokes someone in the chest and says, I dare you to do this. It's the only place in the whole Bible that God says, try me, try me and see Try me see if I won't bless you. And it's right here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. I'm going to start in the second half of verse 7. Um, in, in Scripture speak, we, we call that 7B, uh, the first part of the verse B, verse A. second part would be verse B. And, and here's what God says, and starting in verse 7B, we'll go through verse 12. God said, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And God says in verse 8, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and in offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, we know that word tithe means 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Here it is. Test me in this. Underline that, highlight that, circle that. Do whatever you do to make that verse stand out on your your iPhone or your Bible or your iPad or whatever you're tracking with today. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you don't even have enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty." So you have a people here that looks at their land, they look at their temple, they look at their house, they look at their economy, and they're like, man, everything is going wrong. And they turn and they ask God, they're like, God, will you help us? And God said, you want me to help you. You won't honor me, but you want me to help you. And they're like, how have we not honored you? And God said, you're leaving me last. You're leaving me last and then asking me to put you first. I tell you what, here's the challenge, God says. You put me first, I'll put you first. Here's what God said to me starting in July. Christian, you put me first. I'll take care of your church. And I mean, I argued with God for four months. God, I, you know, I don't know that I can do that to the point where you know I wondered if God like, maybe knew who he was talking to and what he was talking about. And I did what God... I, just, God said, just try me. Try me. Step out in faith and try me. And I said, okay, God, I will. And you see what God has done for our church. And I've left out the biggest blessings because they're, they're, they're not ready to be cemented yet but you may be hearing some things in the next 90 days that'll be way beyond anything that god has done and he's done it all in this window of just trust me trust me with the first fruits i've talked to you about your perspective on money i've talked to you about god's plan for your money i've talked to you about god's standard but here's what i want to talk to you today i want to talk to you today about motivation If you were to ask me, Christian, sit down, tell me what the Bible says about money, and I was to tell you, this is the part that I'm excited about. Why why should you do what God wants you to do? Because of what God says He'll do in return. Today is your motivation to give like God wants you to give and to trust Him for how all that works out. Three motivations that God gives us in Malachi chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12. Motivation number one, God says, tithe so you can receive, and here's God's words, so much blessing. At first, when I first put our our Bible study outline together, I just had the word blessing there and I went back and I said, God didn't say He would give blessing. God said He will give so much blessing. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe, that's 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So much blessing. I don't know that there's a person in here who doesn't want so much blessing. But are we willing to take a step of faith? Now, one of the things that I like to do as a pastor is I like to meet new people in our church. I like to go out to coffee, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, I like to talk to people. I like to get to know people. And every now and then I'll run across people and I always ask them, tell me your story spiritually. And they begin to tell me their story spiritually. And some of them... um, their story, you know, and they choose what it revolves around, but some of them are really excited just about finances and giving and how God has blessed them. And as I started thinking back on how to convey to you so much blessing, I thought, you know what, I ought to ask some of these people. Some of them I've known for a few years. Some of them I didn't meet till six months ago. I didn't even know them until we started our church. But I contacted them and said, hey, when we talked, you talked about your excitement in this area. Like, would you write why you're excited about that? I didn't tell them what to write. Um, I didn't say here's what I want you to say. I just said you said you were excited Would you write like why you're excited about this area so I can share that with our church and they said sure And as I as I got these I thought about this so much blessing here Here's a young couple in our church and i'm not going to share their names with you That's not important, but but here's their story young couple in their 30s In 2005 we were attending church as a dating couple who were living for the world We knew what god wanted from our lives, but we weren't ready to give up the life that we had Through consistent attendance, we felt Christ move in our lives. After becoming engaged in 2006, we accepted Christ together one evening, kneeling next to each other and praying to God to forgive us from our sins, and we invited Christ into our hearts. A month later, uh, my wife had just started a new job. I had just quit a company I'd been with for six years. We continued our attendance in church, and the pastor gave a month-long series on tithing. Over the past few months of church attendance, we had been tipping, throwing $20 in the plate every few weeks, but we never knew what it was like to give honestly and truthfully to God. The sermon resonated with both of us We made commitments in other parts of our life to follow biblical teachings But we still hadn't committed our money to god. It would be very easy to make excuses for not tithing I had no job. She had just started an entry-level position. We had student loan debt We were only a year out of college. We were getting married in a few months It was hard not to think all that we could do with our tithing money We talked about what tithing would mean for us. It was important that we made this decision together We both had to be all in After a lot of prayer and review of our finances, we knew we had to start tithing. And with that, it was important that we catch up the tithe that we'd missed since graduating college. We wanted to make sure we entered our marriage following the Lord and His teachings. We wrote that check the next Sunday and headed to church. She was nervous. I had no job. We didn't have much in savings. We were putting our faith in God that He would provide. We put our catch-up tithe in the offering and we were so happy. The relief of getting right with God was an overwhelming weight lifted off our shoulders. It finally felt like we were committing not only our actions, but our future to Christ. It's a very vulnerable feeling to put your faith in someone other than yourself And this was a true leap of faith being new believers Over the next few weeks. I filled out applications and went on job interviews. We knew something would come our way We had faith three weeks after catching up our tithe. I received a job offer with a great company We were together when I got the call. We were so excited It took a moment for us to calm down and realize we needed to stop and thank god for this blessing Many would call this lucky luck is not real blessings are real when you know that christ died for your sins and that god has a plan for each one of us life becomes less luckily lucky And you become more thankful for god This has now become our understanding when things happen in our lives that are too good to be true or completely unexpected We stop and say uh, We stop and think that this could only be the work of our great creator Before we accepted christ our focus was that we were to be successful and make money And all that we wanted would be added to us We knew that if we were honest and hard-working employees we'd be rewarded by a healthy paycheck But the bible teaches us about earthly treasures and not being able to take things with you when you enter heaven What you acquire on earth has no value when you're gone We tithe because of a verse that has resonated with us. Matthew nineteen twenty-three and 24 Then jesus said to his disciples truly. I tell you it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven Again, I tell you it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle Than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of god god says it doesn't matter who you are what you do Christ died for you and you owe him your life by tithing. We're paying back a priceless debt a debt That as a believer, I don't mind repaying because when you stop and look around and think about what all that God, the creator of all things has done in your life, your 10% starts to feel like you should do more. The more we continue to live our lives for Christ, the more we want to give. Uh, We realize that our blessings didn't stop in 2006 when I got that call for a job. There have been more times than we can list that God has truly answered prayers and um, uh, and been there for us when we thought we had no other options. For anyone considering whether to tithe or not, stop and ask yourself what God can do in your life If you go all in that's not a preacher. That's not a bible study. That's not a bible verse That's a couple in our church a young couple in our church with two young kids That said when we didn't think we could We put faith first And god gave us not just blessing so much blessing in second corinthians 9 6 through 8 Here's what paul says about people who who will go all in people who will put tithe first first fruit Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. By the way, verse 7 means it's up to you. At the end of this message, I'll be done. We won't talk about finances for another year, and you will have to decide what you want to do. It's up to you. It's not up to me. You'll never get a call or ask to be filled out a form of whether or not you're going to do it. And God is able, verse 8, to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, Having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. Why should I put faith first, Christian? Be motivated by so much blessing. Motivation number two. Malachi says in Malachi 3.11 that when we put faith ahead of finances, that there's this, we can only call it spiritual protection that comes upon our life. And this is what God told Israel. Israel was like, everything in life is going wrong. And God said, if you would put me first, I I could help you. A little more. I could protect you. Here's what Malachi 3:11 says. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields won't drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. See, they were going through drought conditions. Their economy was tanking as a country um, and, and God said, I could step in and help in areas that you don't even know that, that I'm helping. I, I thought this was so interesting as I read this and as I studied this and then I, as I read what um, Some of the folks in our church had written about their life situation. You know, there could be many things right now in your life that are keeping your life from moving forward spiritually and financially. And there is some spiritual dynamic to tithing that protects you from things that you don't even know about in ways that only God can protect you. And again, I didn't tell these couples that I reached out to, I didn't tell them what I was preaching on, I didn't tell them the verses that I was preaching on, I just said, tell me, you know, I know giving is important to you. I know tithing is important to you. Why? Why? What would you tell someone if, if they ask you? And one of the couples says, uh, says this, and I thought this was so good as I, as I thought about this protection aspect. Um, so one couple said, the reason we tithe is because this is the only area God encourages us to test him. In Malachi 3.10, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Test me to see if I want to open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. This couple says, when we first got serious about our relationship with God, we felt the need to catch up our tithe from the years we weren't walking with him. At this point in our lives, it was something we were able to do with two incomes. We had no kids. It took years, but we were very happy to know we were giving God what was rightfully his all along. Our marriage was blessed, uh, and our jobs were blessed because of this choice. It's easy to see financial blessings when you tithe, but God isn't limited to just blessing us with more money. We've also gone through very hard times financially where we got to prove to God that we'd still be faithful even when we had very little. We had lost two-thirds of our income due to the economy and my wife staying home with the kids. We cut back on everything, no cable, nothing but the grocery staples that we needed. But we never missed a tithe, and somehow we never missed a bill either. Refund checks would come in the mail from the weirdest places. We could have stayed in our house had we stopped tithing and waited for the economy to come back, but that wasn't an option. We decided to downsize. I'd be lying if I said that choice was easy and not filled with anxiety at first, but God was faithful to us As we remain faithful to him we were able to sell our house immediately. We even made money on it when the housing market was down Um, And god provided us with a home We love even more than our last one and a neighborhood with neighbors that we love even more Something we thought that was impossible when we downsized What a trial for us god turned into a huge blessing in so many ways without increasing our finances because we're faithful to him He's always been more than faithful to us so here's a couple that says, man, even in difficult times, we felt like God was there. And he was, even when two-thirds of our salaries got taken away, we felt like God was protecting us, and, and he was right there. But there's an interesting line in, in this that I didn't read. Um, it, uh, it said this, why we tie it. He said, if you want to feel closer to God and grow, start doing the things that God commands. We both have a closer walk with God today because we tie it. And that would be motivation number three that Malachi gives us. Malachi says, look, you want so much blessing? Start with faith financially. You want spiritual protection? Start with faith financially. But then Malachi says, do you want intimacy and influence spiritually? Start with faith financially. I'll I'll read this line one more time. Not that one We both have a closer walk with our savior today Because we tie Now this is really interesting when you start just looking at the spiritual dynamics of obedience in life But here is here's what's really really interesting. If you look at malachi chapter 3 verse 12 Um, it says this about a group of people who collectively will Give all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a beautiful land, says the Lord Almighty. So it's pretty cool when you have an entire community of people, a church of people who are giving and then seeing God do so much in the world. But but what happens when you're giving to some place and that, that doesn't turn out so well? This is where the intimacy piece comes in. Uh, one of our couples said this. And I want you to listen real closely to this one, and I, I want to give you some statistics on the group of people that go to our church uh, And and some biblical truth as well uh, Couple three says this tithing has been a part of our monthly budget since the day. We got married For several different reasons First of all my spouse and I feel led to tithe because the bible is very clear About God's plan for our finances and all He ask is for is ten percent I said there have been many months when we are tempted to take God's ten percent spend it on ourselves Yet we don't because this is a commitment we've made to one another and to the Lord And we gladly give back what's his in the first place So often people share stories of the miracles that happen to them because they continue to give God his tithe But we don't have any stories like that to share our story is different One day we woke up in the midst of the biggest financial crisis we ever faced And we had no idea how we would be able to pay our bills or take care of any financial obligations we had to others There were many sleepless nights spent thinking about making payroll collecting money Answering questions of our debtors, but the lord walked us through the situation day by day Sometimes even hour by hour We didn't have any huge miracles that took our problems away But we did have a god to depend on as we started at the bottom of the mountain Climbing our way up slowly step by step During this time we found ourselves tithing out of thanks to the lord as he continued to meet our needs No longer did we tithe because our pastor made us feel guilty about doing so Became a form of praise to god for all the work. He was doing in our lives The lord does expect us to work hard and make sacrifices to use the gifts he's given us, and we're happy to say that we've seen the blessings that come from trusting him and continuing to do what he commands with us of our finances. Our continued faithfulness with our tithe brings us unspeakable joy, and it remains one of the most consistent aspects of our Christian walk. I want you to hear this closely, though, for those of you who have been burned. In addition to our financial troubles, we attended a church who didn't handle its finances with integrity. It was hurtful to know that we'd given so much of our money to a church that at times didn't practice good stewardship. We were hurt and angry that we'd been faithful, trusting that we were doing the right thing by tithing, and in the end, it was misused. Our friends and family questioned how we felt about our finances being misappropriated, but after seeking the Lord and good counsel, we felt peace. It's by faith that we choose to tithe, and that's a lesson that we learned from this situation. Our job is to be faithful. His job is to do the rest. Now, despite the fact that the past still saddens us, we're thankful to be able to answer questions from skeptical friends Who don't understand how we could possibly still be tithing to any church knowing that the church could misuse our money It's part of our testimony. We're happy to share about this faith building experience with our friends Do you know that our church has in it people from five different churches? That don't even exist anymore Churches they served at and gave to that don't even exist anymore Five different churches in this church right here I told you several weeks ago that the newest statistic is that 6,000 United States evangelical churches shut down every year, right? More than 100 churches a week close their doors all over this country with five that I know of represented in our church. We have people in our church who came from a church where um, pastors had affairs with other staff members and things went haywire. We have people in our church that the church instead of raising money for a church building the church bought some land And they convinced all the businessmen in their church to invest in the land And they said you guys invest and be the investors And you can start a business section on one end and we'll have the church on the other And you can fund this and they convinced them all to put their 401ks in it And then it went bankrupt and all those businessmen lost everything not their tithe their their investments their retirements Sometimes it's hard to entrust a large portion of your money to a church when you don't have control over how it's going to be used. But here's another interesting fact that God was trying to point out in Malachi chapter 3. You know, there are 14 New Testament letters that are written to either New Testament churches or pastors of New Testament churches that don't exist anymore. There are seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that Jesus speaks to about how to manage their church well that don't exist anymore. And in Malachi chapter 3, we see a temple that used to be grand, that was no longer grand, a ministry that used to touch the world, that no longer touched the world. And we see a group of people that said, we're not giving to that because that is not doing what it used to do. And God said, I never ask you to give to that. I ask you to give to me. And see, you need to think. I've had two different people in our church As tithing has come up and they've told me that they've tithed and i've said thank you And it took me a while to realize they weren't trying to offend me Um, They said we're we're not giving it because we believe in you and your church Our tithe goes to god We give it at the church right now, but we're not tithing to you Because if you tithe to me or you tithe to journey or you tithe to another church at some point in time It's going to disappoint you So your tithe has to be connected to god we give to god Because we want to be close to God I don't give to my church because I want a piece of my church I don't give to my pastor because I believe in his vision because guess what the church and the pastor may not be here forever But god isn't going anywhere In malachi 3. I love what it says when when a group of people if if we will pursue intimacy with god individually We can accomplish influence corporately. That's what god says god says people will look at the church People will look at the congregation that puts faith first first And gives to God through a single unit, they'll look at them and call them blessed because of the delightful things going on around them. And what would our faith community look like if everyone here figured out a way to start with faith financially? I want you to think about what's going on in our church that none of us could do individually. There are 30 kids in the Lee Summit School District that 52 weekends this year were fed Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and Monday breakfast. 30 kids. That our church fed Now none of us could probably do that individually, but together we did Yesterday we served at a ministry called cold water and we saw 104 104 or 105. Ashley you were counting 100, 105 families who yesterday came and got a thanksgiving dinner and now have thanksgiving dinner for them and their family And our student ministry and some of our leaders were were there helping none of us Could figure out a way for 105 people to have thanksgiving dinner But when faith communities come together it can happen Do you know that we give a portion of what you give every week to two church planning agencies that in 2012 started over 20 churches? Now there's no one in here that by themselves could figure out how to start 20 churches But collectively we were a part of that Our church has done ministry, added it up. This year, we've given money to 10 different countries to do ministry. India, Israel, Sudan, Kenya, Romania, Philippines, Thailand, Guatemala, Tunisia, and America. 10 different countries that our church is doing ministry in because we're doing it collectively, not individually. What would a faith community look like if everyone started with faith financially and then then figured out the rest? You know, I had someone ask me a, a very good question last week on the way out of church. I don't know that I've ever had this question asked of me, but I'm glad someone asked me. Somebody shook my hand on the way out and they said, pastor, it must have been a guess because most people around here don't call me pastor. Pastor? I said, yeah. I said, do you tithe? I looked at him and said, yes, I do. Absolutely. On every dollar that I make. And you would say, well, of course you do. You're the pastor. You know, it's, It's the church if the church doesn't make it you don't you know, you don't have a a job You want to know why I tithe? And I mean why I tithe why I try to tithe on every dollar I get I tithe because I trust I tithe because i've seen all these things happen and it started for me when I was 19 And it wasn't even a tithe. It was just a moment where god said trust me And in 15 years nothing has changed. I was a freshman at liberty university where I went to college it was, um, it was actually this week, as I, as I think about it. It was, a, it was this Sunday night, not November 18th, but it was a Sunday night before Thanksgiving break. Because my mom and dad used to give me a set amount of money to get through the semester, um, and I was already out before Thanksgiving break. I had $3 left. And I was sitting in the Sunday night church service on campus at Liberty University, I had $3 in my pocket. It was Sunday night. I was going to go home Monday after class. So really this 3 bucks was all that I needed. And here's what I needed this 3 bucks for. Every night at Liberty University, the football dorm, about 10 o'clock, 30, 11 o'clock, would collectively leave campus together. And we had this place in Lynchburg, Virginia, called Rallies. probably It was like a drive-through hamburger joint. Has anyone ever even heard of Rallies? And they had 99-cent double cheeseburgers and 89-cent fries. And I knew that for $3, I could get two... Double cheeseburgers and fries and every night we would go and just eat because we were so uh, We were fat and famished and you know everything else. You know, we we were just those guys So I knew that those three dollars were going to go to that and then I was going to go to class monday And my car had gas in it and then I was going to go home and mom and dad would take care of me for the week So i'm sitting in this church service Church service comes church service ends uh, And as it gets ready to end they have some girl get up to speak Who's getting ready to go on a missions trip? She hasn't raised all her money, and they're trying to raise money to give to the people that she's going to go to, Um, and as she's talking about what's going to go on, and we're going to take an offering, one last offering before Thanksgiving break, you know, and I didn't at this time really read my Bible a lot, I didn't pray a lot, but I felt like the Lord said in my spirit, you you know how this happens, you just get prompted, I felt like the Lord said, uh, you need to put that $3 in the offering tonight. And I thought, there ain't no way, God, like, I only got $3, and I'm not giving $3, I might think about giving a dollar, but I, I'm not giving $3. And I was sitting way near the back of uh, like a double gym. There were several thousand students there. And as the offering starts being passed, starting in the front and working towards the back, like I felt like God's like presence was heavy on me saying, give me the money. And I was like, I'm not going to give you the money. And I felt like God was like, give the $3. I was like, I, you know, I want a cheeseburger, you know, and I was like wrestling with God. And by the time it came, it was almost like I was possessed. I stuck my hand in the pocket, and I, I remember as the, it was like a Kentucky Fried Chicken basket. That's what our offering bucket was. And I remember angrily saying, here's your stupid $3, throwing it in there. And I remember being so depressed as I went back to the dorm, knowing that I wasn't going to get to go to rallies that night. Um, 10, 10.30, 11 o'clock rolls around. Um, you know, if, if you've been around sports long enough, you know that no one uses your name. Everyone... Has a nickname. You're really not even on the team till you have a nickname. Um, so everyone called me Noose, like a like a noose and a rope for Newsome. Um And it, you know they came bounding down the hallway and banging on my door. Noose, we're headed out. You coming? I like I, I, I can't. Guys, come tonight. I'm like why? Why aren't you coming? And God made me give my money to a missionary, and now I don't have <laughs> any food to eat. And you know, so I'm just gonna stay here. And you know, I think I had a can of tuna fish or something that I was going to eat that night. I was miserable, just miserable that God made me give my money to a missionary. But I did, because I, I think he made, I literally think he made me that night. Next day, I get up and go to class. I, um, on the way back from class, I stop at my mailbox, which I only hit once every six or eight weeks. Uh, and inside my mailbox was a letter. Um, and, and I kept it for a long time with a, um, like a postal stamp from a city and state that I didn't know. And I opened the letter. It was like a very small card. And on the inside of the card, it just said, Christian, um, God told us to pray for you and to send this to you. And inside was two $20 bills. It wasn't signed from anyone. Ask everyone I know. They don't know who sent it. And it was at that moment at 19 where God said, if you will trust me, if you will test me, you'll be okay. And you know what? In the last 15 years, not one thing has happened to change my mind that I can't trust when God stirs in my heart and says, do this. You know, I've taught you a lot, biblically, what the Bible says about finances. But I want to leave you with this faith challenge. When faith and finances meet, some crazy things happen. And I want to challenge you as we look at our next steps, maybe your next steps now are in faith to decide to test God by tithing. To do it one or two times and just see what happens. To do it for a month, two months or 90 days. Um, I want you to dream with us about the influence of a church where everyone gave God what was His and then it was used appropriately. And then step three, here's what I do when I'm stressed financially. I, I, I just put it like I say it pray my guts out, and then I do what God has asked me to do. I just lay it all on the table and say, okay, God, I'll do what what you want me to do. I'm asking you, and I won't ask you again for a long time, to pray about this area in your life and to test God, like the three couples that talked to us today. Test God. Don't figure out whether or not we're worthy to receive it. We are not worthy to receive it. But ask God, God, do you want me to do this? God, will you help me if I do this? God, will you bless me if I do this? Will you protect me if I do this? God, will I be closer to you if I do this? And will I have more influence spiritually if I do this? I believe with all my heart from Malachi chapter 3 that the answer to those questions are yes, if you will do that. Let's pray together. God, we come to you in Jesus' name. And God, I'm thankful for the challenge of Malachi chapter 3, but really it, it, um, it's not the Bible Text today that inspires me It's the actual god moments in the life of this church In the last 30 days Lord as I just reflected on what you had done As that man said to me hey, maybe this is a god thing I compared the twenty one thousand dollars Just like given by a bunch of random people To the 24 given by our whole church and it was like you said I can give you a month of offering without you even having to take one if you just Shut up and listen. And God, I thank you that you do stuff like that to prove yourself. I thank you that in November of 1996 at Liberty University, Lord, you pressed heavy upon me to give what I felt I couldn't give so you could show me you had already provided more. It's a lesson I'll never forget and I thank you for it. I thank you for the couple's that have shared their stories, that have said, listen, I don't have a Bible verse, but I've got life experience that says when you do this, God is there. And God, I pray that you'll speak to the men and women in this church, not because we need their money, because clearly you have proven we don't. But God, I pray that you'll speak to them because I know they need and want and desire your blessing, so much blessing, your protection, intimacy with you, influence for you, and God, Paul said it real clearly. Hey, each person's got to make this decision for themselves. That's, that's why we don't fill out forms. That's why we don't have quotas. That's why we don't allow or disallow some people based on this. Because it's, it's an individual decision. But God, I pray that some couples will get real serious about this area. And say, do we have the guts to put God first and see what happens? And then God, it's not, I, I don't have to back up this challenge. It's not mine. It's yours. So you be God and you do what only you can do. We love you. We are so grateful for the first fruits offerings of this church and what you have allowed us to do. And I pray you continue to allow us to have tremendous intimacy as a people with you, tremendous influence as a people for you in this community and around the world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name today, and everyone said amen. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do.